Lesson 12 for March 14 to 20, The Humility of the Wise. Sabbath afternoon, March 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we come as we open your word and we give ourselves to you. We come from different backgrounds and different nationalities and different countries, but we are all looking to you as the one who provides salvation and the one who provides understanding. And as we open your word this week, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and bless each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's read that again, Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the Bible, humility is considered an important virtue. The greatest of prophets, Moses, is singled out as the most humble person who ever lived. Uh, Numbers 12.3 says that. According to Micah 6.8, the main duty that God expects from people is to walk humbly with your God. Jesus, too, insists that humility is an ideal that the Christian should adopt in Matthew 18, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. After all, what does anyone have to boast about? Every breath, every heartbeat, every gift, every talent comes only from God in whom we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, verse 28. And, in light of the cross, even all our righteousness is as filthy rags, as you read in Isaiah 64, verse 6. How, then, can we boast? This week, Proverbs looks at humility. Considering our situation, how foolish it is to be anything but humble. Sunday, March 14, Who do you think you are? Or, Who do you think you are? Or, Who do you think you are? Question. Read Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 to 3, and verses 32 and 33. Together, what are these verses saying? Verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 30. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, his utterance. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eucal, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have knowledge of the Holy One. And verses 32 and 33. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. The self-negation seen in these texts is quite a break from the usual self-exaltation of kings in the ancient Near East, who often liked to boast of their wisdom, achievements and military victories. Solomon himself is recorded as surpassing 
all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. 1 Kings 10.23 And he also repeated it in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 9. And then, of course, there's Nebuchadnezzar, who proclaimed in Daniel 4.30, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Because our author understands his own ignorance, he calls boasting foolish. The Hebrew word for foolish here is Nabal, which is the name of Nabal, whose behaviour exemplified foolish pride as well. And the story's in First Samuel 25. Such boasting, which implies pride, also carries the potential for humiliation and thus for anger and strife. The Apostle Paul also called some of his church members fools, who considered themselves wise, and were even worse, boasting about it. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 18 and 19, Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast, for you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. Question. Read Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Why might it be easier to be like the Pharisee than one might think? How can we make sure that we don't fall into this same trap, even in the subtlest ways? Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like others, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You have to feel sorry for people who boast. Usually it's a cover for insecurities anyway. It shows just how self-deceived and foolish they really are. Monday, March 16, A Knowledge of God? Pride arises in those who don't know the Lord in a personal way. In contrast, the person who lives in communion with God will be humble, for he or she is constantly in touch with the One who is infinitely greater than any of us. When we think about the size of the universe and realize that we are worshipping the One who created that universe— and that this same God suffered in the person of Jesus on the cross for us, it's hard to imagine how we could struggle with pride while keeping these thoughts before us. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 30, verses 3 to 6. What do these verses tell us about the power, majesty, and mystery of God? 
Proverbs 30, beginning at verse 3, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. The expression knowledge of God is to be understood as meaning knowledge about God. Five rhetorical questions are then asked, which force us to recognize just how much about God we really don't understand. Question. Read those questions in Proverbs 30 verse 4. What challenge do they present to us? Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Because God is the creator, the first four questions, he remains far beyond our understanding, the fifth question. In the book of Job, God challenges Job with the same questions, so that Job would realize that he could not comprehend God or his ways. And that took three chapters, Job 38, 39 and part of 40. The fact that God is the creator and that we cannot fully understand him gives us a crucial lesson regarding how we should receive his written revelation, which scholars are always questioning. Who are we whose understanding of even the simplest things in nature is clouded and full of mystery, to challenge the word of God, even the parts that baffle or disturb us? So, to finish today, dwell on the grandeur and mystery of the creation itself. What should these tell us about the grandeur and mystery of the Creator? Why should this grandeur and mystery give us comfort and hope? Tuesday, March 17, neither too much nor too little. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through to 9, contains the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. It is not by chance that this request immediately follows the affirmation of God as the great Creator in verse 4, and the promise of His faithfulness in verse 5. Let's read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Why would someone ask these things? Beginning at verse 7. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of of my God. Before we ask God for anything, it is important to make sure our relationship with Him is solid. 
If we lie, then we act as if God, who knows all things, doesn't even exist. This is why the confession of our sin is a prerequisite for forgiveness, as we read in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We cannot cheat God. He sees us exactly as we are. As we pray the dramatic gesture of prostration, lying in the dust like the dead, as in Lamentations 3.29, let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Reveals not only our reverence and humility, but shows an awareness of our spiritual nakedness before him. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8, which we've just read, the writer asks God to give neither poverty nor riches. The first time that the verb give is used in the Bible in relation to humans, it deals with God's gift of food. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. This is why in many cultures food is traditionally associated with prayer. This basic need, which makes us so dependent on the God of creation, places the experience of prayer at the core of our survival. The two requests do not aim just at the balance of human character. They converge in one goal, the glory of God. If we get too little, we tend to steal and insult God. If we get too much, we do not feel the need for God and may even deny His existence. It is noteworthy, however, that only the latter predicament can lead to a disconnect from God. The former will likely keep us in touch with Him. The Lord's Prayer carries the same twofold concern. 1. Give us this day our daily bread, in Matthew 6.11, provides for our needs and not more. And 2. Do not lead us into temptation, in verse 13, takes care of our needs. So to finish today, think about just how dependent you are on God. How can keeping that stark fact ever in your mind help you grow in faith? What dangers come when we forget this dependence? Wednesday, March 18, The Actions of the Arrogant Just as humility is positive and brings blessings, a lack of humility is dangerous and brings curses. After having encouraged the virtue of humility by showing its rewards and fruit, Proverbs 30 gives a stern warning about the dangers that come with pride. First of all, cursing your parents – Proverbs 30, verses 11 and 17. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. And verse 17. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Agur begins with this category. 
for it presents the most serious act of arrogance when children despise their source of life. Significantly, honouring and blessing one's parents is the only commandment associated with the promise of life, and you'll remember that from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. It's also mentioned in Ephesians 6 verses 2 and 3, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. While the death penalty is prescribed for its transgression in Exodus 21, verses 15 and 17, and he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death, and verse 17, and he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Secondly, self-righteousness. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 12 and 20. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. And verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. The condition of sinners who think of themselves as righteous is bad, because they will stay in their sin, believing that they are pure and don't need forgiveness. This is why the confession of sin is so fundamental to obtaining forgiveness. As we read yesterday in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Laodiceans, who claimed that they were rich, intelligent and well-dressed, although unaware that they were poor, blind and naked, are counselled to acquire from God the means to repair their miserable condition. And we read that in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through to 18. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you were lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Here is represented a people who pride themselves in their possession of spiritual knowledge and advantages, Ellen White writes in Faith and Works, page 83. She continues, But they have not responded to the unmerited blessings that God has bestowed upon them. They have been full of rebellion, ingratitude and forgetfulness of God, and still He has dealt with them as a loving, forgiving Father deals with an ungrateful, wayward son. They have resisted His grace, abused His privileges, slighted His opportunities, and have been satisfied to sink down in contentment, in lamentable ingratitude, hollow formalism, and hypocritical insincerity. And the last one, contempt. Proverbs 30, 
verses 13 and 14. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. The picture presented of the arrogant is not pretty. Though they have a proud look on their face, the arrogance doesn't remain just there. It is manifested in the contempt they reveal to those who they feel are below them. The imagery of the fangs and teeth in verse 14 show just how bad their actions are. So to finish today, think about how you have treated others, particularly those whom you might even feel superior. Most of us have those feelings at times, do we not? How can you make it right? How can you display the humility needed to make it right? Thursday, March 19... Lessons from Nature All through the Bible, imagery from nature has been used to teach spiritual truths. Here, too, using nature, the proverb teaches us lessons about humility. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 and 19. What is it saying here, too, about the limits of human understanding? Verse 18, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, yes, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Agur sees mystery in even many of the common things. It is a very fascinating mix of mysteries that he presents here. The first two are from animals, an eagle silently moving through the sky, a snake silently moving along the earth. He then shifts to two human actions, a ship on the sea and a man with a woman. Even today, with all our scientific knowledge, so many mysteries remain. How crucial it is that we never lose our appreciation for the depth and majesty of God. That attitude will surely help keep us humble before God. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 30 verses 24 through to 28. What other mysteries from nature catch the author's attention and awe? Beginning at verse 24. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with its hands, and it is in king's palaces. It's interesting that the immediately preceding verses in Proverbs 30, verses 20 to 23, deal with human folly, arrogance and vice. He then shifts to the animal world, pointing to small and humble creatures, even though he uses the same Hebrew word for wise in reference to them that is used in reference to humans in chapter 3, verse 13. 
and even God himself in Job 12.13, with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding, and also about God in Psalm 104, verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Even today, with all our advances in science, how these creatures do what they do remains beyond our full comprehension. How much more so their actions must have baffled this wise man in his time. And he was indeed wise because one of the great signs of wisdom is to acknowledge just how little we do know, even about the commonest things. So to finish today, think about some of the simplest things in nature. The leaf of a tree, a drop of water, a seashell. How should the fact that even these things are full of mysteries keep us humble? Friday, March 20, from the book Education, page 244, we read, We should reverence God's word. For the printed volume, we should show respect, never putting it to common uses or handling it carelessly. And never should scripture be quoted in a jest or paraphrased to point a witty saying. Every word of God is pure, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And that's from Proverbs 30, verse 5, and Psalm 12, verse 6. And also from the Desire of Ages, page 299 to 300, Christ's first words to the people on the mount were words of blessing. Happy are they, he said, who recognize their spiritual poverty and feel their need of temptation. The gospel is to be preached to the poor, not to the spiritually proud, those who claim to be rich and in need of nothing is it revealed, but to those who are humble and contrite. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until, convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, dwell on the plan of salvation and what was required to save us. That is, we are so fallen, so corrupt, so evil, that mere regeneration would not be enough to redeem us from sin. No matter how much we are changed and restored, that regeneration and restoration cannot save us. We need a substitute, someone who legally stands in our place and whose righteousness alone is enough to make us right with God. What should this reality itself tell us about why arrogance and pride have to be some of the worst sins in fallen beings like us? Question 2. What are some of the different ways that our very existence depends upon God? What are the things in nature itself that show us how God sustains our existence? And question 3. Dwell more on the prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. 
Look at the balance there. How do we find balance in all that we do? Why is this so important? Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. Two things I require of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and profane the name of my God. Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Thrice Saved. At the age of four, Jesse lost his mother. By the time he was nine, Jesse lived in foster homes. As a teen, he met a young man who played basketball. When Jesse shared his name, the young man looked surprised. Your mother and my father were brother and sister. Taking Jesse home, the cousin introduced him to the rest of the family. That's when Jesse learned that his mother had died of complications caused by his father's beatings. Jesse moved in with his uncle, and, as his anger over his circumstances simmered, he joined the U.S. Air National Guard, then switched to the U.S. Marines. He married, had three children, but later divorced. I felt hurt and empty inside, he recalled. Once more, I had no family and felt completely alone. Feeling life wasn't worth living, Jesse took his rifle and ammunition down to the beach with plans to end his life. Wading into the sea, he sat down on a rock. Soon a police officer came, but Jesse raised his rifle, warning him to stay away. Then the colonel from the marine base arrived, ordering him to put the gun down. Jesse refused. But when he saw his father approaching, Jesse put the gun into his mouth and pulled the trigger. There was an explosion, and he fell backward, still alive. The bullet had jammed halfway through the barrel. Jesse was discharged from the Marines and tried again to commit suicide. This time he ended up in the hospital emergency room where he met Dr. Nazaki, a Seventh-day Adventist physician determined to save him. When he awoke after surgery, Jesse found a Bible by his bed, placed there by Dr. Nazaki. He hid the Bible, but each day he found another one. When Jesse was released from the hospital, Dr. Nazaki urged him to read the book of John. Finally, Jesse agreed. The doctor called him each day, making sure that he had food and clothing. In time, Jesse realized that Dr. Nazaki really cared, and he learned to trust him. He started Bible studies, and the doctor invited him to church. One day, Jesse returned to the rock where he had tried to kill himself and thanked God for saving his life. He continued studying and was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church. For the first time in my life, he said, I felt peace. Later, with the doctor's encouragement, Jesse and his wife reconciled. They remarried in Dr. Nazaki's home. Thrice saved. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. 
This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.